Welcome back to Between the Levees. I am joined again today by Captain Royce Leg. Works for Moran Towing in the Greater New Orleans area. The topic of the day is tractor tugs. Royce, thank you again for coming back. No, no problem. Happy to be here again. Well, before we get into tractor tugs, you said it a few times in our first meeting, and I meant to ask you, and I never did. What in the hell is a hawser? Fair enough. Uh, a hawser is a tow line, a very heavy tow line. So uh, on the tugboats that I work on, the, the harbor tug, ship assist tugs, they're usually utilized uh, off the stern. So we'll connect either to a winch or a, a tow fitting on the deck. And um, we'll use the uh, full capability, I guess, of the uh, usually a conventional tug. And uh, so it's, it's just a, a very large rope that we'll use to connect. Use a hawser comes, the difference for us, we usually make up on the ships with uh, a, a rope made up off the bow of the tug for most work. And a hawser would be the one we would use off the stern of the tug. And is it for more experienced guys usually? Or is it the worst job out there? It's not the worst. And really it's, it, it doesn't really happen very often anymore uh, because of the prevalence of the new tractor tugs. Um, the, their capabilities kind of supersede what a uh, conventional boat used to do with a hawser. The, the tractor tugs can do it with their bow line, same thing. So it's, uh, it's more and more rare to see it utilized where we work. And are these ship landings usually two boat jobs or three boat jobs? Most of them are two tugs, yeah, two boats. I don't know that we covered it last time in, in any kind of detail, but can you walk me through... We probably did about landing a landing a ship. So the the way it usually goes, and this is literally like ninety nine percent of the jobs we'll do. The uh, the local ship pilot is also we call him I guess a docking pilot. He 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 gives the tugs the commands to either push or pull, slow them down or or increase the rate of turn or something like that. He'll utilize the boats, and um, it's a. Uh, I mean, every port has harbor tugs now. I mean always did probably, but it's um, ships are very good at, at making way at long distances and straight lines. And it's when they have to stop in very close quarters is where the utilization of tugs really comes in. Well, as I said, the topic of the day is tractor tugs. So let's start with tractor tugs 101, sir. Uh, some basic description of the vessels. Are they all the same length, width? Are they built to a certain spec? Yeah, there's a um, there's uh, I guess you would call it an aspect ratio. It's usually uh, three times the length of the width, and the width will give the tug its stability. Uh, most of them nowadays are about 33, 35 feet wide by about 90 to 100 feet long, and uh, that's not counting tires and fendering and stuff like that. So the the molded breadth is what they call it is is about 33 feet, and length overall is usually between 90 and 99. Uh, three to one. It's um, there's a there's a hydrodynamic reason that all came to be. Um, I I can't remember off the top of my head exactly what the three to one sort of does. It said like the stability is the biggest thing. Some of the boats can be utilized sort of in a sideward motion. So um, the, the wider the boat is, the more stable it is when the when the boats have to move sideways and will take a, a healing effect when we're moving. The wider they are, the less they heal, and the, they correct themselves much, much quicker than a narrower tug. And um, there's this uh, pretty, we're, we're going to skip from 101 to straight to, to 301 real, just for a minute. Um, there's a, a maneuver at high speed, sort of, sort of high speed, uh, in an escort position, which is tethered off the back of the ship. Uh, it's called indirect. And uh, you can turn the boat sideways and increase probably two, two and a half times the, the steering forces that we can apply to a rope when we turn the boat sideways into the direction of travel. And um, that's where the, the extra breadth, the stability and the self-riding moment and all that stuff really comes into play is to, uh, to let the boat really maximize um, what it's doing sideways and to correct itself really rapidly to get ready for the next order from the pilot. Uh, and, and so back to that, to 101, 
the uh, the pilot uh, on the ship will usually, like I said, 99% of the time it's the pilot doing it. He'll give us the commands that he needs to control each end of the ship. Usually in unison, it's a lot of teamwork. You know, three guys on radios doing three things. And, um, you know, where, I, where I've been, uh, New Orleans, Miami, and Lake Charles, it's it's always been port pilots. I've never worked with an actual like company docking pilot, which is another thing that sort of happens uh, up on the East Coast. And those are usually experienced tugboat captains. The they'll make a new uh, their their next evolution of their career is to come uh, go to docking master or docking pilot. So they'll get on the ship. Uh, usually 30 or 40 minutes before the, the, the docking maneuvers start. And it's their experience, their prior experience with tugboats that, that puts them in a position to better utilize the tugs. Like I said, that's, that's sort of an East Coast thing. It's not really prevalent anywhere else anymore. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's usually pretty similar, sort of simple. Um, if we have a tug on the bow, one on the quarter, uh, if we're going into a dock, the tug on the bow will be uh, the, the pilot will ask them to back alongside and they'll put like a backing motion. They'll reverse the boat, tighten their line, and that'll, that'll stem the speed of the ship. And um, the pivot points will change. The ship's pivot point will change as they speed up or slow down. And when they get really slow, you'll almost come to the center length of the ship will be almost a pivot. So each tug on each end can really maneuver a ship sort of carrying us into a position, one or, one or the other. And uh, really good pilots are, are um, I would say really good. Well, yeah, really good pilots. They utilize boats a lot less often. So it's just a handful of commands and just enough power to get what they want. And uh, they're, most of them are really good pilots. Like I haven't really, I haven't worked with a, a, like an oh my God kind of pilot ever. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so it's, it's pretty forward, straightforward. It's, it's pretty simplified and for us, for operators, it's really about, um, our limitations with the understanding the equipment. And, uh, one of the biggest differences between these new tractors versus a conventional boat is that the propellers never stop. So if we're on an older tug and the pilot tells us to come alongside, we get made fast and put a line up, make fast. They tell the tugs to go all stop. We can literally just take them out of gear and everything will wind down. With a tractor tug or a Z drive, they don't ever come out of gear. So the propellers are always turning. And so what we do is we, we increase the azimuth angles and we put them towards each other. And that motion on each side will cancel any forward or aft motion on the tug. So we just kind of hover in a, what they call transverse uh, position with the drives. And that's um, that's kind of like when, when somebody's brand brand new to it, getting on for the first time. The, there's a, a a habit is to take it all the way out of gear, and you'll you'll think the boat's going to stop, but you, it doesn't because it uses its wheel wash to stop itself. So if you stop the wheel wash, you it, the boat just goes pretty much into just like no head at all. It just wants to do it, just floating around. It, Without without the wheel wash, which is actually the thrust vector, without the thrust vector, you have no control. Is there a standardized horsepower on the new vessels, the new Z drives? Uh, standardized, not yes. So um, horsepower is sort of a, I won't say arbitrary, but it is an arbitrary number for us. Um, the the gear ratio of the drive unit, the pitch of the propeller all combined to um, our, our measurement or standard for our boats is bollard pull, how many tons of bollard pull we can provide. And um, so the horsepower isn't as relevant, relevant as it used to be. And it's not really an accurate measure. It's, it's still over the radio. It's still like, you know, what kind of power we're working with today and, you know, all that stuff. But what the boat actually utilizes is, is this um, bollard pull, this, this, um, um, Applied pool, you know. So uh, the standard is usually around five thousand horsepower nowadays, and a general docking tug is anywhere from fifty to sixty tons. And some of the newer boats, because of the ships of um, so the new Panama Canal, the second canal opened up a few years back. And in some places, Miami was one. 
uh, Savannah, Charleston, some of the bigger places on the East Coast. Those ships, they 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 have so much inertia when they're underway that the standard kind of had to elevate with the size of the ship, so the tugs got a little bigger. And mechanically speaking, um, uh, I'll say about six thousand mechanical horsepower nowadays, six thousand six sixty five hundred. But that that equates to like uh, seventy to eighty tons of bollard pull. So the the average has gone up pretty much nationwide with these uh, tugs. The, the new average is about a seventy five ton tug, and then there's some there's some places that utilize upwards of eighty and ninety ton tugs, but they're not um, not the, the standard. The most general purpose general general use harbor tugs are about fifty five to sixty tons. Is that total weight or a bollard pull? Oh, a bollard pull. Yeah, bollard pull. So that, so fifty to sixty was the previous sort of metric. Yeah, yeah. So when the first generation boats, when they first showed up in the nineties, the um, the bollard pull rating wasn't really uh, standardized. I guess or I'm sure it was. It was. It was a, a a metric to be measured, but it wasn't really like the standard to. Uh, you know, they were still asking what's the horsepower of the boat. But as the, like I said, as the ships got bigger or the maneuvers got faster or whatever, whatever the ports needed, really, the, the companies all um, sort of increased the average bollard pull strength of their tugs to go with it. And um, like I said, earlier boats, generation one, 4,000, 4,500, 5,000 horsepower, and um, you'd be right at 50 tons probably maxed out. And the more um, the more boats are put into use, and, and this is from like the manufacturers, uh, the different drive manufacturers, the different engine manufacturers. You, you, over generations of evolution of tugboat, you'll get um, uh, like gearbox ratios are really tuned in, uh, and final drive ratios are really tuned in. So you can do so that the the horsepower number from five thousand to six thousand. Horsepower is only a thousand horsepower difference, but you're increasing the power of the boat by upwards of 15 to 20% with only like a 10 to 12% increase in or 20% horsepower, not even 20% horsepower increase. So the mechanical advantage has been really, really fine and tuned in the last generation or two of, uh, of Z drives. You said in the 90s something changed. What, 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 what was used prior to that to land vessels? So um, a conventional boat, it looks sort of similar. Um, just the, just the, 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 any tugboat you can picture in your head, like little toot, toot, little, little gold leaf books, whatever it was, those little things, like that's what we, that's the first boat I started on. It looked exactly like the boat, the boat on the, on the cover of that book, except it was white instead of red. And, um, the, uh, some of the tractor tug technology, there's a few different versions of tractor tugs. Um, in design aspect, uh, they they were really kicked off in Europe uh, right after World War II. For the most part, they're, some of them are a little older than that, early '40s, late '30s. The technology has been around, and a lot of places in Europe really moved into it uh, after World War II. That that timeline, '45 to '55 or so, they started using them a lot, and um, it took us uh, on, on state side, you know, 35 or 40 years to catch up to the Europeans, but um, Almost all the vendors that uh, supply the equipment, the drive units and stuff like that, they're almost all European. Does that cover 101 or do we miss any lessons? No, I mean, we can we can talk about, um, yeah, if we go back to 101, we'll talk about the name, right? The Z-Drive or Tractor Tug, we'll discuss both for a second. Um, Z-Drive is uh, a description, is descriptor of the mechanical linkage, the drive line itself from the engine. You'll have the main output shaft from the gearbox to the top of the drive unit. Then there's a, a bevel gear and a drive shaft that goes down, a down shaft. And there's another bevel gear that puts the thrust out sideways. So it shapes itself like a Z to get from the engine to the wheel wash. And that's sort of where Z drive comes from. And the term tractor, uh, it took me a little while to figure this one out to do some research and, and find it. Uh, a long time ago, and this is, this is a long time ago, the actual farm tractors, have this really unique thing they can do with their uh, the rear axles. You can split the axles so one wheel turns forward and the other one turns backwards on a set RPM range. 
so the the tractor can spin itself shorter than its length. It can pull itself around, very similar to the new zero-turn mowers and stuff like that. Um, but the nomenclature carried over from the farm tractor to the tractor trailer pick truck that we know of on the highways. Uh, those guys, if you ever watched any you know, of the YouTube, those those guys backing the uh, the the whole in, like entire length of trainers trailers into these like little bitty slots in these warehouses and stuff. And you can see them, they'll turn a, a steering wheel full one way and, and back it. And the, the, the whole cab will come sideways almost to, to touch the trailer and they can move that whole thing. And it's that pivot where the axles, the pivots points between so far between the axles that they got the name as well, tractor, that they can pivot in length less than the truck. And it transferred over. The Germans, when they first in, started utilizing the boats, they actually called them water tractors. And now it's just shortened up to tractor tub. Before we get uh, too far forward, tell me the difference between a Z-drive and a conventional wheel. So, all right, a conventional boat will have a, 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 an engine, usually a locomotive-type engine with a, a really large gearbox and uh, just a propeller shaft that'll run from the gearbox through the hull. Past the hull, there'll be a propeller and a rudder. And uh, the so the Z-drive eliminates the shaft and the rudder, but it utilizes 360 degree rotation on the propeller itself. So the whole propeller can turn 360 degrees as well as increase or decrease RPM revolutions. And it's the combination of those two, um, azimuth and thrust that you can get any combination of two complete circles in a, your power range to get the boat to move. Um, a lot of weird sort of, like I said, you can you can do a, a, a they call it walking the boat. You can do a fully transverse maneuver, move the boat completely sideways. You can have it move the stern faster than the bow and you'll have like this real pretty arc turn where the bow stays in one spot, the rest of the boat just comes around. That's, that's, the, that's the, the, the biggest difference really is, is close quarter maneuverability of a, of a tractor tow compared to a conventional. Because those are, like I said, it's either, you know, engines ahead or engines astern. And when you go astern on a conventional boat, you really don't have a whole lot of steering. You just kind of add the mercies of whatever else is going on environmentally, whether the ship's you know got headway and you're made fast to it, or how it is. And you know, single screws are usually predominantly right-handed wheels. So when you when you back a conventional boat, say a single screw, her tendency would bring her stern to port just a few degrees and start sort of pulling out at an angle. Um, and then a the left-hand wheel conversely would pull you to the right and. In my entire time, I think I've only come across two or three left-handed wheel tugs, single screws. And uh, so a conventional boat, like I said, it'd be a direct shafted, you know, from the engine to the propeller pretty much with the rudder to give you your steering angles and heading and stuff. And the, the, the Z-drives uh, use a combination of azimuth and power to, uh, to change direction. Well, I've been... Uh at the sticks of a conventional tugboat and a Z-drive. Are the controls, tell me about the, the difference in the controls. Well, the controls nowadays, um, in the market, there are two major players for the actual Z-drives, the, the, like the manufacturing builders. Uh, one is Kongsberg, which was at one time Rolls-Royce, and before that it was Aquamaster, then an old company way back in the day called Rama. And they went globally as Aquamaster Rama uh, up until probably the early, late 90s, early 2000s, and then they were acquired by Rolls-Royce, and Rolls-Royce just fairly recently was acquired by this company called Kongsberg. And then the other company is uh, from Germany, and it's uh, Schottel propulsion systems. Um, there's a, another version of a tractor tug that I'm, I've never had a chance to operate. Uh, I, I know of them. I've watched tons of videos. I read books about them and stuff, but I've never had a chance to get on one. And that propulsion system is made by a company called Voith out of Germany as well. And they utilize a completely different form of propulsion. Um, they have propeller blades that are built on a vertical axis. And they turn, there's usually five blades, they'll turn in a circle and they'll, the blades will engage and cause a pitch, will cause 
hydrodynamic lift. Same, the exact same principle as a helicopter rotor, but these stand straight up and down instead of horizontally. And it's a, that's a pretty unique beast. Um, I've never had the chance to, to run one, but uh, a friend of mine from a few years ago, he worked for, on one for a long time. And um, he says the difference is uh, those boats are a little more instinctual to run because they have a, an actual steering wheel to go left and right. So if you want to go right, you just turn right. But with the, uh, the, the Z drive, uh, some of the stuff seems opposite. It's more like a tilling and old outboard. So if, if you're steering with one hand and you want to go to the right, you take your right hand and you turn left. And that thrust angle will bring the, the, the bow of the tug to right. So you, you make a starboard turn if you want to, as we teach it, if you turn right, use your right hand. If you turn left, use your left hand. And um, so it's, it's more akin to tilling uh, on an old school outboard when you're using one. When we start to use both and we start maneuvering either high speed or high power for the pilots, um, what we're actually doing is controlling uh, a thrust vector versus inertia. So we'll, we'll build up energy with the propellers and just very small increments of angle will change what the boat's doing. And it's um, when, they, when those boats first showed up, some of the old captains would be like, oh, I'm, I'm never going to go. I don't even want to know what that is, man. That's just the opposite of everything I've ever done. And it's, it isn't exactly the opposite. It's, it's a different way of getting it done. But if you're familiar with the way a boat moves in the water, um, you know, pivot point. And, I mean, if you're just driving an outboard boat, uh, uh, one, one outboard motor, if you know how that feels under the seat or under your feet, you'll, you'll get the vibe, you'll get the feel for these tugs too. It's not quite the opposite of the opposite of what everything you've known, but it's it's just it's just a different machine. Well, we have skipped ahead to three hundred one. Are there any lessons that we've missed in one hundred one, and what what should be in two hundred one? Oh man, two hundred one is timing. So when we so two hundred one would be the introduction to running one, right? So if if, if Z drives one hundred one is is explaining what they are and how they're built, how they explain how they work. 201 would be putting somebody in the seat for the first time. And um, to, to drive them is uh, a lot of people were, it's intimidating the first time. And you, you can, you'll go through these, these thought processes, you know, uh, how big the boat is, how, how, how edgy it kind of feels like it wants to hop, you know, and how much the company just paid for this. And like, how do they choose me to do this? I don't know if I'm ready. And it, it, it it's just um, you know, the, even the, the 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 layout of the wheelhouse. The wheelhouse looks more like a cockpit, probably more similar to the boats you're familiar with, the 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 the, the fleet type tug. So you you'll have like all the operator, everything he can touch is in like a three foot circle, and it's sort of smaller structure with a lot of windows. That's how the the docking tugs are built too. And um, some of the old conventional boats, man, those things would be offshore tugs before they were coming to do ship work. And there's a couple of them I've seen. They were so big, they would have like, like literal furniture in the wheelhouse. They'd have a, one of them had a barber's chair. It was so big, it had a barber's chair to steer from. One of them had like an actual couch. Um, and like these, these tractor tugs, it's nothing like that. It's, it's like, it's really like climbing in the cockpit of a, of a helicopter or something comparative. So 201, I would say is like, um, yeah, putting somebody in the seat first time would be 201. Um, and in timing, timing is everything with these boats. You can, the response is so immediate if you add power at the wrong time without the uh, azimuth angles ready to help you out. So if somebody's doing something like trying to move around another boat or trying to, to get close to a ship or away from a ship and it's feeling sort of out of order, the old way, you would just pull them backwards and, you know, just full reverse and back out, just dump it. And that's that's sort of the hardest part of, of getting guys that have been on conventional boats for so long to come over and learn first, <clears throat> is that the, adding the power is literally the worst thing you can do. We watch these, these guys learn, and even in the simulators when we go to teach it, their hands are moving way faster. They're turning these controllers so fast, but the machine itself has like a mechanical time limit 
So it's it's about 18 seconds from straight forward to straight aft. And you know, if they're getting a panic, they'll pull this thing around and dump it, thinking that the propeller is turning in the same arc as their hand as fast as they did, but that propeller is still pointed the way that started everything. And now they just added power in the wrong direction before the rotation can catch up where his hands were. And it's it it's always the worst thing. So timing, hand timing, there, there are, uh, we have indicators in the wheelhouse that show which way your drives are pointed and all this kind of cool stuff, uh, similar to a rudder angle indicator on a, on a regular boat. And when we're teaching uh, day one in the simulator, day one on the boat, uh, we'll just be running lines, just straight lines up and down. And I, when we tell them, give them a command to turn the tug, we tell them, watch the indicator, and we don't want to see your hand move any faster than that. So that way you're getting the muscle memory habit of wherever your hand goes, that's where it's at. And that eliminates 70% of that issue if they retain it. Um, but when two pieces of steel are kind of slapping at each other really fast, a lot of that goes out out the ears really fast. And uh, it's just, um, it's one of the, the harder things to develop is, is hand timing. And, and so that translates immediately to the, the timing of the tug, how far away from something you need to be to start your, your process of slowing down is directly linked to how fast you're going. So the, and this, sounds, it's, it's the, this is the one thing that is the opposite of every other tug. The faster you're going, the faster you can stop. So if we have the propellers, the engines that 75, 80% power and we're cruising without taking our hands off the throttles, we could just turn the units and we bring those in together to transverse and it's got so much thrust that it comes out like a braking effect, like a drag chute and it'll stop the boat. We do um, every three months for quarterly uh, drills, we'll do a crash stop test, which on the old conventional boats was really hard on the equipment. And you're going from full ahead to full astern as quick as you can apply it. And you're not really letting the shafts wind down and stuff like that. But on these boats, it's, it's sort of built to do it, but it's, it's still impressive every time we really have to do it. We got to make sure all the uh, refrigerators are lashed shut and all the, all the coffee pots are in the sink or in the cabinet. Like we can't leave anything laying out when we do the crash stop test because it will just, it, it'll, it'll, it feels like it's lifting you out of the seats when we do it. It's, it's impressive. So again, it's all it's all learning, recognizing the timing, um, how how quick they'll, they'll snap around. If we if we're in a in a maneuver and say we've got you know thirty degrees on our right hand and, and ten degrees on our start on our left hand and, and we're adding power, if we were just to take just the power off without actually turning the left unit, if we just take the power off, all that thrust on that one side of the boat would take over instantly, instantly, and. Um, that's that's it's the hardest thing to teach. It's the hardest thing to get them to retain. It's easy to teach. It's getting them to retain it. Is, is that the, the the power is like your enemy? It's it's literally like it's, it's almost like a handgun safety. Don't point it at anything you don't want to destroy, kind of thing. Um, like man, be very careful where your where your hands are pointed when you start applying power. Um, and the, the harbor tugs, I, I would think, I, I know of the, uh, the newer Z-Drive uh, line boats, the, the, the ones that run the intercoastal and some of the fleet boats between Baton Rouge and New Orleans are, are Z-Drive now. And I don't know what that, um, like how much power those guys are putting out, like as far as their thrust is. The, the harbor tug is so efficient. The, the harbor tug version of his e-drive is so efficient in moving water that you really have to be ready to counter whatever your right hand's trying to do. You have to be ready to counter it with your left hand or it's just gonna, you're gonna lose control every time. So that's the, the third aspect of timing is coordinated motion between both units and both hands. And you had said if you're 80% ahead and you turn them transverse, how quickly does it stop? What kind of distance, I guess? Um, if we're at, if we're if we're really rolling that hard, if we go from dead ahead to transverse, that the the mechanical part is about eight seconds to transverse, just maybe a little over eight seconds, nine seconds to transverse. Uh, in a distance wise, 
we can we can get in the boat lane. We can we can go from full ahead to all to just dead in the water at full power in in about 100 and 120 feet. And that's when all the coffee pots and microwaves and oh, refrigerators go rolling. Yes, that's when we all learn interior design. Yeah, so we had to go put everything back where it was. Yeah, order new coffee pots, all that good stuff. Yeah. Hopefully the emergencies aren't aren't too frequent out there to need to do that. Um, no. Well, is there anything to cover in 301 that we haven't touched on? Oh man, 301. This is kind of interesting because one of the one of the things I, I really enjoy doing that I get it, I'm very excited to have the opportunity to do for Moran is um, simulator instruction for uh, entry-level ASD class. And um, we've been doing that for, I guess about four years now. It's been, yeah, it's been about four years, maybe five. And um, we're just about to gear up for an advanced ASD simulation class. What does ASD stand for? Oh, azimuth stern drive. So that's, that's the technical name for a Z-drive or a tractor tug is the azimuthal stern drive. So the, the drives are mounted all the way on the stern of the boat and they, all, both of them have independent azimuthal direction. So anything on an on a azimuth, which is a horizontal bearing, uh, 360 degrees on the azimuth, is, is, that's where that name, sorry. Yeah, that's where it comes from. Gotcha. We would have had to do episode three if I'd have kept talking and to come back and redefine that. Well, no, please continue. Was there anything else to cover about your uh, training opportunities for oh, yeah. ASD so, classes? So we've done this uh, entry-level basic ASD basic class for our, our guys. Who are, they're usually um, mates, uh, pretty experienced mates on conventional boats that are going to make the transition to a uh, tractor tug. And we try to give them um, a really good basis of the, uh, the, the, the basics of the boat the dynamics of the boats. So they're not trying to, to bend the learning curve on an actual tug, on an actual job where they work. So this has been very beneficial. It's been a very successful program. And uh, we, we're working on what we would call advanced ASD. It's gonna be our next evolution of it. And there was some discussion between um, our training coordinator and uh, or he's actually a training manager and, and um, some of the captains that were involved and we kind of got sort of wrapped up about the term advanced, whether it's advanced maneuvers or if we're making the operator more advanced, like setting the skill sets higher. And um, so what we thought we were with that has changed like two or three times because both sides are making really good arguments about which which way it should go. Um, so I think we're gonna do a, sort of a combined effort. We're gonna discuss some of the more advanced maneuvers that the boats are capable of. And then the other half, or maybe say 60%, we're gonna talk about things that an advanced operator should be aware of. And that would be um, emergency, situational response. And um, so if we have a mechanical failure, an engine shut down or a, a Z drive, because they're very, as awesome as these things are, and these, these things are just, they weigh tons. Like the boat I'm on now is like a 400 ton tug, um, 6,000 horsepower, 70 tons of bollard pull. And all of its brains are controlled by 24 volt battery bank. And if the voltage fluctuates, two or three volts up or down in either direction, the equipment doesn't really work. So it's a it's sort of a delicate beast in that nature. And like in that aspect, it's sort of delicate. That voltage has to be well-regulated and maintained to make sure the computer brains are doing exactly what we're asking it to do in real time. And uh, so every once in a while we'll have a component failure like uh, electronic control module and the steering box would look, it, it, it looks like a, a beta video cassette, <laughs> but it's, um, it's just got a bunch of little sockets on the back of it and a little 
row of diodes that light up, tell us what's going on, and they flicker, I don't know, man, 100 times a second. Like, they're clicking all the time. And if one of those things wears out, depending on what it's trying, what its part of the computer equation is, will give us a completely set of different problems when it does fail. Uh, some of them control the actual azimuth steering, and the steering will go, it, 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 we call it hunting, but it's actually trying to reset itself. It's trying to look for center zero, top dead center. So this thing, you'll be running down the channel or alongside a ship, and all of a sudden, this one drive will just take off and just start turning circles on you. And once it's in this mode, the computer's trying to find a way to fix itself. So even if you pull the throttle back and take it out of gear, it won't come out of gear because it's doing a diagnostic setup. And um, that's probably the worst thing to have happen underway is more of the drives just take off doing this 360 circles. And um, another one is uh, it controls the throttle position. So if we're at a zero position or 1% on the throttle, we go to 45 or 50%. It one, one failure can go from zero to 100, or one will go from zero to five and stop. So if we're asking for 50% power and it's only giving us five, that's a little more manageable than if we're asking for 5% it gives us 100 off the bat. But um, these, these little small electronic control modules, these are, um, they're all run on, like I said, this 24 volt system. And uh, it's, it's, it's sort of, I don't want to make it sound like it's it's as delicate as like you know eggshells or tissue paper, but it's it's probably the um, the most severe of the possible weak link situations we can get into is the these electronic component failure. Um, so anyway, back to the ASD's base uh, advanced. So we're we're talking about building a curriculum in the simulator of equipment failure, like different types of failure, to teach them how to diagnose it from the seat as timely and, and smartly as they can, control the tug, know what this looks and feels like, how to take this thing out of service or out, just to, um, to disconnect it from the, the, the rest of the situation. Um, you know, we actually had a, a, a minor incident in Miami where um, a sound powered phone was in a cradle and our, our decade bumped it with his hand. He was turning from forward to look out the back window to see what was going on behind us. And we caught himself on the stanchion. He bumped it and it fell. When it fell, it landed in a, it's an emergency shutdown for the main engine. And it fell right in this cup and it shut down the starboard engine while we were doing a job in, in Miami. And um, the, I was in the wheelhouse uh, between watches. I just came up to see what was going on and everything. The mate was running the boat. And the AB was standing next to the phone and it happened. And it was the first time anybody else had seen anything like that. <clears throat> so the mate wanted to call the pilots right away. And I had to had to explain to her, well, look, reduce the RPM on your, on your port engine and turn it backwards. Let's put some strain on that line and control our bow so the boat's stable. Get it down to minimum RPM and then let them know that we, we've, we've got a problem with the starboard engine. We, we won't be able to help you as much as we thought we could. Ask for what you, what you need, and we'll see if we can do it on one until we get this thing you know, back online. So her immediate response was sort of to, not to panic, but she thought it was super important to get the pilot, the information to the pilot first before controlling the environment, like you know, slowing the situation down. And then um, the AB, to his credit, was the first through the door to go try and restart the engine. <clears throat> but the emergency shutdowns are electronic, so it wasn't a mechanical shutdown, it was an electronic shutdown on these tier four engines and stuff. And he, hadn't, he didn't know how to do that. He had never had one of those uh, happen before. And um, I knew how to do it. And the only reason I knew how to do it, we took one of our boats to shipyard years before that, we were coming out. And somewhere in the process of going live down to black ship that has taken all the electrical current off the tug, generators, everything shut down. In the process of, of bringing it back up, that whole system had tripped. And we had to go look it up in a book, in, in a service manual from the engine manufacturer to find out how to get this computer back online to tell it to start the engine. And that's the only reason I even knew where to even go look. 
So as soon as we got it started, we finished the job. We went back and we tied off at our dock and we pulled the whole crew, all four of us to the galley. We threw the, uh, the engine manual on the table. We threw our training records on the table and we did a write-up. We did a, a near miss report. We turned it into a training evolution right away. And um, we used that to, to pass it on to the sister tug that we worked in the same port with. So we had a whole write-up process. Of, if it's an electrical shutdown, these breakers have to be reset. These are the, you know, we went to make sure that they're the same breakers and the same panels, that they weren't labeled a different number or something. So it turned out to be very, very informative and very, very beneficial. But the second it happened, nobody knew what to do. <laughs> so that's that's one of the, that was one of the examples I brought when we were discussing what's going to be in an advanced ASD class. And that's why I said I'd rather advance the operator skill level than, than the maneuvers of the tug. And it's one of the examples I like to use. Only one I was personally involved in it. And two, it, it, was, it was as bad as it could have been. It was great. We ended up learning so much more about our tug in a very short amount of time. But it was a teachable moment that we could pass on to the operators and the engineers of the same of the, of the other tug in our port. <clears throat> so those are the kind of things I would be keen to, to discuss and teach when we get to um, the next set of classes. Do you find electronically controlled systems are a bigger challenge or what are the benefits of those versus the old mechanical operation? Oh, uh, it's, it's you know, electronically, they, they can be a little more fickle. Um, they're not as tender. Uh, that's what I was saying earlier. I don't want to make it sound like we're, uh, we're, we're kind of like hovering over these machines waiting for it to break kind of mentality. It's not really that bad. The one good thing is the rest of the boat is so bulletproof that if there's ever an issue, we know exactly where to start the diagnosis. It's always the battery bank. It's always an electronic component. Um, so I don't know, I, I don't know if, if there's any system that, um, when you look at a machine like this, and, you know, and the other thing too, is they, they evolve like a, the, technically we're into like the fifth generation of American designed, uh, ASD tugs, tractor tugs. And every, every evolution of these boats, they remove one problem. What would, would have been a common occurrence is it's it's repaired, replaced, fixed, updated, better equipment. And each evolution, it really does. We look, we, we've learned so much since the 90s to now that even, even the things like the battery banks or the 24-volt systems, they'll maintain their integrity. I don't know. I, I've been in um, Lake Charles for four years, and I've only had one issue out of over seven, 800 days at work. And it was the the... the the relief captain had never had that issue. So it was one minor component in over four years of service. So, you know, we've, we've had um, some of the other things we've had, like I mentioned earlier about this, uh, one of the driving is trying to find its center zero designation to reset itself. That's a steering angle component, the, the electronic control module that, that it replicates the input from our hand to the machine. So the electronic, the little piece in the wheelhouse is just the electronic fly-by-wire stuff. When we turn it 10 or 15 degrees, it sends a signal to these boxes and the boxes tell the big giant hydraulics to turn the whole thing 15 degrees. And when those lose contact or the voltage gets a little wonky, they can't tell where it was supposed to start. So they lose their memory of like forward zero, top dead center kind of zero forward. And it'll do this thing where it goes in circles trying to find its zero point to start over again. And um, we've had that on uh, one of our boats. And it's um, no major incident. The, the, the operator that was involved was a very skilled operator. He knew exactly what he had to do right away. Um, but the that... That one component failure is, is the most fearful for experienced tractor tug captains because they've seen it get the most, the guy who taught them 10, 15, 20 years ago, like, it, it, like his worst story at work is like, man, this one time the stupid thing started doing zeros on me and, and it, you know, whatever. And you, you don't ever expect it, but when it happens, it's such a, 
it's such a story in the industry that uh, almost everybody knows like within like four seconds, oh no, it's doing it. And uh, some of the older ones, they would have uh, like a, an actual key on the on the console near the, near the control handles. And if you turn the key in the off position, it shuts the electrics, electricity to the actual input control. And that'll close the circuit and stop whatever it's doing. The other version, they don't have that. And like I said, when it's starting to figure out what it, when it's trying to relearn itself, it, it won't let you pull it completely out of gear and it won't let you turn it off uh, from the wheelhouse till it's finished this little diagnostic run. And it's always at the most inopportune time to do it. Uh, but as far as, um, you know, the electronics themselves being trustworthy or something like that, I, I would say they are. I mean, that's, that's one of the things about boating in general, especially tugboat and, and a lot of the, I'm, I'm sure all the guys you've spoken with so far, they'll tell you the same thing. If you don't trust your equipment, man, like it's, it's a hard day at work. If you're afraid of the boat, it's, it's an exhaust, mentally exhausting day. If you're afraid of the boat. So but we don't really carry like constant concern about electronic failures, but we do know that when something starts up to, to start showing itself, we're almost a hundred percent sure it's in the electronic system, the 24 volt system. If that even answered your question. I think so. All right. Do you have time for a few more? Absolutely. All right. Well, this is more specific to Lake Charles. Uh, I'm not hugely familiar with the, the, the Port of Lake Charles. Uh, I did dispatch canals for about four years uh, with Ingram. So, I mean, I, I know some, but where do you all meet vessels? So our, um, our contract is kind of unique. We work for a, uh, an LNG plant, liquefied natural gas terminal. And it's the only, it's the only customer that we deal with. So we have four tugs for the evolutions, for the docking maneuvers. And uh, we rotate every week. Each tug will take a different spot in the rotation. And uh, what we call the number four boat is the escort tug. And they'll meet the ship um, about two miles, maybe offshore, south of uh, Cameron Jetties, uh, down uh, near Holly Beach and all that kind of stuff. So they'll be out about, about two miles out off of uh, Cameron Jetties. That boat will get in position behind the ship and send the line up. They'll make fast and stretch out a couple hundred feet, and they, um, they'll help with slowing the ship down on the way through the rest of the transit time. And then our actual dock, our facility is, um, I, think it's, I think it's 15 or 16 miles north of Cameron. So... The ships are usually average about eight knots. So it's about um, all day long for the for the first boat out. It's about a four or four and a half hour deal. Um, maybe, well, I'll say a little longer for them. So for us, the other three tugs will either run ahead of the ships when they come through Cameron, if we're already down there, or we'll meet them uh, about a mile and a half south of the uh, facility. And um, it's a just about a two-hour transit from when they cross the jetties to when they ask for the third, uh, the other three boats is about two hours, and then it takes about an hour and a half to get one made fast to the dock to get it in there, turned around, and, and pushed in and made fast is about an hour and a half. So it's it's about a five and a half hour day for number four. And it's about a three-hour day for the other rest of us. And is that the facility there uh, inside Monkey Island? It is not. It okay. is not. So we're, like I said, we're about uh, 14 miles north of that one. How tough would that be to get a ship in into Monkey Island? Uh, I'll, it's, it's not as hard. It's, it's a tough job. I don't want to make it sound like it's the easiest thing in the world to do, but the, the pilots in Lake Charles, they've, they've learned and adapted to maneuvering these LNG carriers relatively quickly, I would think, from, from what I can see and tell. And um, the maneuver, one of the safeguards for LNG is to always have the ship ready to depart on its own. If something goes wrong inside the facility in the plant, they have automated mooring winches and stuff like that so they can punch these buttons and drop their own lines and get underway away from the facility. 
and one of the um, standards for this, the standards of uh, care is the ship is always facing out. Like if it has to drop lines and go, it doesn't have to try to figure out how to turn on its own. It's just going to get out and shoot it. So the, the, the ship's coming into Monkey Island. Of course, they're coming in northbound and they, they've given themselves the, the, the facility there had created a turning basin for the ships to turn themselves around. And it's at, it's at South Monkey Island Cut, if you're sort of familiar with that, if you want to look it up later. So they, they created this turning basin at South Monkey Island Cut. So the ships will come up in one direction, turn 180 degrees, and then they'll press themselves over to the dock. And um, the first few jobs were sort of, you know, everybody's like, prepare for the worst, hope for the best sort of mentality. I mean, you have to be. I mean, it's this, this is what we're dealing with. You know, these ships are like a thousand feet long and 35, 38 feet of draft. And it has to go one way. Like it has to be the turning basin. It has to go in that dock. There's no room for anything else. It has to be this thing. And um, our our home port, our dock that we tie up to between jobs is right across the river from that facility. So I've observed a bunch. We, we watch them when they come in, when it's not our turn to do it. We watch them all the time. And those pilots have gotten really good, really good. The, the set of boats that work there are um, strong strong boats and that's super beneficial too um you know I, I i know one of the pilots he and i kind of grew up together on the mississippi river we, we both worked for the old company years ago and um when they were getting ready to start docking there we would talk on the phone and one of the concerns at cameron is how fast the water runs on a high tide how fast that water runs in and out because <clears throat> the, the jetties in Cameron gets real narrow. So if the water's doing like seven knots offshore, when it squeezes in, it comes up to nine knots and the facility is just right past it on the way in. And so the, you, you know, say you plan for the worst, hope for the best, whatever, and all these, all these processes they had thought were going to be like the hardest thing to do. They've, um, They've got their maneuvering, their process of maneuvering. Man, they, they make it look good. They make it look easy. They're doing fantastic work down there. How many vessels would you work on a, on a regular hitch? We would do, there's usually a pilot call every 24 hours. So in a 14-day period, we would do anywhere from 10 to 12. That, that was very recently. That's when um you know all the trains all the liquefactors they call liquefaction trains at the facility that's where they take gas and freeze it to a liquid when those machines are um all inside you know maintenance requirements they're all running full speed and there's enough customers to grab the the, the lng as it's made instead of having to store it um they can turn a ship they can load a ship 18 to 20 hours so we would bring one in say at six o'clock in the morning We'd be finished at about 11.30 or noon. At noon the next day, the, that ship will be ordered to sail and you'd have pilots ordered for the next one in. So the number four boat would be the escort tug out, get cut loose. And as soon as the ships would clear each other, the second ship would start its way in about an hour later. So there'd be about a three hour window from uh, the fourth tug getting let loose in Cameron to picking up the next ship. Uh, just enough time for them to get around each other offshore to come back in. So it's, we were hopping pretty good. The, the, the plant's down on a turnaround right now. They're almost finished. Um, so I'm sure the next time I go back to work in a couple of weeks, we'll be doing them every 24 hours again. Have anything else to cover before we close this one out? Man, I don't know. Oh, yes. I, I've, I've had a few phone calls. A bunch of my friends watched the last episode. My sister wanted everybody to know that she is an HR specialist for the Louisiana Board of Education. I'm not going to apologize, but I guess I'm sorry I didn't recall that earlier. Um, uh, I had mentioned uh, that late late last year, I, I started an LLC, created a, a little LLC, started a business. Um, somebody said I should mention that. I don't know if I want to plug it yet or not, but um, it's, a, it's an advisory consultancy. Uh, for um, the initial process is going to be uh, best utilization, like best use and practices 
and uh, a comprehensive understanding of what these tugboats, these high-powered escort tugs, and these really strong docking tugs, what they are capable of, and their limitations in certain situations. And uh, that idea came about uh, just after doing it for so long, the some of the newer pilots, young pilots coming through, <clears throat> they'll they'll go to uh, maritime academies and they'll see simulations and uh, they'll do their time at sea or their jobs, uh, you know, working off these uh, blue water ships and stuff like that. And they'll see the tugs when they come in port. And it's it's not a it's not a lack of skill or anything like that. It's just um just a, a small moment of understanding of say standardized commands for the boats or what they're asking for versus what they see when they look out over the bridge wing and, and why it's not to them, why it's not uh, collating. So that was the first idea was to have this, um, I actually, the name of the, the, the DBA, the doing business as was ASD, Applied Steering and Dynamics. And, this, and I tried to work that in some kind of way so they would know as soon as they saw it that this is what we're going to be you know, talking about. <clears throat> so that was the first idea. And then very recently, um, there's uh, sort of a, a new uh, collaboration. It's, I was literally in a message earlier today, right before you messaged me. Um, it looks like I'll be working with a couple of guys, uh, another very, very experienced uh, tug operator and um, a really great guy named Peter. Uh, he works for a design engineering firm, but he used to be a decade on harbor tugs on Z drives. So he put himself through school for uh, engineering and architecture, marine architecture and all this cool stuff. And he works for a design firm on the West Coast. And we met each other a couple of years ago at the workboat show down in New Orleans. And we've kept in touch. And uh, when we saw each other back in uh, this last November, 2022, uh, over, uh, you know, the best part of the show is the, the drinks and stuff afterwards. That's where all the, all the, all the work show work boat gets work, the work gets done. So, um, we were talking about, um, in general ergonomics, wheelhouse ergonomics and, um, some of the layout and stuff like that. So it looks like we're going to have a, a collaborative process on, um, utilizing myself and Captain Jeff. We've got just a, between the two of us, probably 70 years on tugboats and 45 or 50 years on tractors. And why are they still built like shoeboxes? Why does this suck? Like, why, why, like, we, this, this could be so much better. And um, one of the things we're looking at is a new display system for electronics. And uh, some of the captains, you know, that work fleeting and, and uh, the guys that work the canals. There are requirements, right? CFR and stuff like that, ABS and Coast Guard requirements for all these electronics in the wheelhouse. Two radars, an electronic chart plotter if you're not carrying paper charts anymore, which is good. Um, all these things, right? But you end up with three, three electronic displays and a laptop and all this stuff going on around you. So it's just this gigantic sphere of like electrical static nonstop in your face. And um, we're looking at reducing the amount of monitors that have to be in the wheelhouse in a, a really cool sort of subtle way. Not that they don't have to be there, but they're going to be, we're going to, we're, we're working on a better display system. So that's, that's kind of exciting. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. If I may, what kind of feedback have you gotten aside from your sister correcting you on her profession? Oh man. Um, but you were in some of the some of the messages and stuff on the on the on the well I shared the post right I shared the episode on Facebook and LinkedIn and the guys on Facebook my boys they they took off with it um it's all been positive like it's all been great the they're excited to see somebody of you know where we're from in our generation to to explain because we it's really great it's it's sort of a <clears throat> Sort of another thing, like I don't know. I'm, I'm sure I asked you last time how old you were. I, I just I just turned 51 in March. <clears throat> so this, the uh, if you have to label everything right, Gen X, Gen X guys, 
where where we were as young men and children to teenagers to where we are now in the industries like it's it's such a unique place to be to bridge the gap from our parents technology to like this right now um but to to grow up with you know spark plugs and 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 you know analog and tape decks and stuff like that and to to not be uncomfortable with touchscreen displays and cd-roms and the internet of things or whatever so it's the all my guys were really really supportive that somebody where we did it for so long you know we get to tell i got i got to share a couple of cool stories and and um it was really it's always it's been positive feedback it was all positive and so I, I, you know, it works. It works, man. I'm glad this. Yeah, I was looking at how fast your episodes are coming out now, and uh, this is this is good stuff, man. I'm. It's so cool. It's so good to be involved in this. There's so many great stories. Just regardless of boat, like that's the one great thing. I'll say this too. There's one great thing I've noticed. Uh, probably a 30 episodes involve these guys with enough time off to learn to play music, or we grew up in music especially the guys born down here, the Acadians and, and the Creole and all that, but the, to realize like how many of us have all gravitated either through a military family or prior military experience and we like music and we all do this, you know, this tough existence for an easier life kind of thing. And um, that's, that's really cool, man. And to know that it's not just, you know, tug trash is vast and broad and I love it. I love it. It's, it's, this is so much fun. I'm very glad to see it it's so well received for sure. Yeah. Uh, to answer, to answer something you alluded to earlier, I'll be 37 uh, prior to our third meeting in less than a month, which I'm looking very forward to. All right. Yeah. As, a, as a little, as a little preview to the viewer, uh, June 15th, I'll be hosting Captain Royce Leg here with Captain Cohen Bush. I'm going to kind of let them bounce ideas back and forth based on what they've shared in their episodes, but uh, looking forward to it, sir. I appreciate your time yet again today. Oh man. Like I said, anytime, man, I, I love doing this. We'll keep in touch, buddy. Thank you. This has been a production of Where You At Studios, LLC.